It's been almost a month since a condo building in Surfside, Florida, collapsed, killing at least 97 people. Investigators are still trying to figure out why it happened, but no one big issue has been identified. It seems like what we're seeing so far is really a kind of confluence of like pretty ordinary problems that may have added up to this really, obviously, extraordinary event. That's our colleague Laura Cusisto. And she says the collapse of Champlain Towers South has caused residents of other buildings in the area to wonder if they could be vulnerable, too. It's an especially urgent question because many of these buildings were built in the same time period and with the same materials. That is a very kind of common Florida problem, to have this concrete construction that can be really solid and can be really tough. But if it's sitting next to the ocean and it's not being maintained, it can also be very fragile. But deciding how these repairs happen is not the job of building inspectors or regulators or city officials. The condo board is ultimately in charge of the repairs. The condo board a group of volunteers who live in the building. And the board are unpaid. They're residents of the building who get elected. And in many cases, in a sort of typical floor building, they're often retirees. The big decisions, the kind of high-profile, the high-stakes decisions, those are up to the board. And so they have just a, a tremendous amount of responsibility. And these buildings are, as one person put it to me, essentially multi-million dollar corporations run by volunteers. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, July 20th. Coming up on the show, Florida's crumbling condo problem and the residents tasked with fixing it. life had a remote control. You could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. A lot of the buildings along the Miami coastline look the same. And one reason why is many of them were built during the same construction boom. Just a huge chunk of the condo stock in Florida was built in the 70s and the 80s. And it's really driven by this sort of new idea of retirement, of this low-maintenance lifestyle. And Florida becomes an ideal place for that because it is obviously on the beach. The climate in the winter is quite nice. In that condo boom a certain kind of construction became popular, concrete buildings. These sorts of concrete buildings were just super cheap to build. And you get sort of what we heard from engineers and developers who worked there in the early days is there was this kind of Wild West culture there. It made for this perfect mix of ingredients for a lot of buildings to go up really quickly. These concrete condos may have been cheap to build and attractive to buyers, but they come with a hidden cost. Concrete, especially when it's by the ocean, needs a lot of maintenance. Concrete construction can be really solid. It can stand for decades, 
but it needs to be waterproofed. It needs to be waterproofed carefully during construction, and it needs to be waterproofed repeatedly over the years. Really, water is the enemy. Water leaches in, and water, especially next to the ocean, water is a kind of constant threat what happens is the water starts to get into the concrete, the concrete expands, the concrete begins to crack, um, potentially the steel that runs up through the concrete that helps kind of support it, that begins to also erode. Um, and so you can end up with a very kind of uniquely bad Florida problem. And that's become a problem for a few reasons. First, there's not a lot of government oversight. In Miami-Dade County, like many places around the country, Government officials inspect buildings before they're occupied. And the next required city inspection in Miami-Dade is 40 years later. In the interim, the upkeep falls on the condo board. Now, the condo board is a legal entity. Usually, members are elected by residents, they're unpaid, and they're responsible for maintaining the building. Anything from minor jobs like painting the lobby to major jobs like fixing structural issues. Those major projects can come with big price tags, and residents are the ones who have to pay for it. It's often very hard to get a majority vote of people who, in many cases, are retirees on fixed income, who look at this and say, are you really kind of asking me to eat into this pot of money that I need to live on? We quote an engineer in the story saying, he hears very often, let my grandchildren take care of this. Let them deal with this. I think sometimes people look at Champlain Towers South and think how sort of dysfunctional and how irresponsible were these people that they had all these problems with their building. Why didn't they do something about it? And you kind of try to have some understanding of what that is like to spend that amount of money without a lot of warning. You're not expecting it. And I think trying to have those conversations with your neighbors is utterly thankless. Laura spoke to some condo board members, not from Champlain Towers, who said when their buildings needed repairs and they asked residents to pay, things got dicey. People do not like it when you spend their money. We talked to one board member who said that the members were so frustrated they glued locks to the board members' front doors. What do you mean glued locks? Apparently they, like, glued the lock of the door shut so you couldn't, like, get their doors to open. What? Yeah. I didn't know this was a thing. That's so mean and ridiculous. Like, you go to these meetings and they are very hostile and you get called names and you're, like, sitting there and you're thinking, I'm a volunteer. Like, I signed myself up for this. I also would like to be watching Golden Girls and eating popcorn. Exactly. And certainly one of the gentlemen we interviewed for the story was like, yeah, okay, I'm out of here. I'm like selling my unit and buying a single family home. Right. What happens when condo boards and residents put off repairs? So there is this sense that it becomes a problem that can very quickly snowball. It can become an avalanche more quickly than you know. And so to kind of go back to the example of concrete, if you're not properly resealing your concrete, then concrete starts to get these hairline cracks. And those hairline cracks become bigger cracks. And suddenly you have a problem that one year looked pretty cosmetic and not that far down the road begins to look really serious. For condo board members who don't have building expertise, 
it can be hard to discern between a cosmetic problem and a more serious one. And even when boards bring in paid experts like management companies and engineers, it can still be difficult. The structural engineer comes in and tells them, this is what I think you need to do. In theory, that helps guide you. There are problems with that. You know, when the structural engineer comes in and tells you, I think this needs $15, $16 million of work, people naturally start to get very skeptical of that, very cranky about that. But yes, I mean, the idea is you have professional advice, so you're not making these decisions on your own. But again, I mean, and this was a challenge at Champlain Towers South, they got this report from a structural engineer, and still this volunteer board is in charge of reading this report and trying to understand how urgent is this? What does this really mean? How worried should we be about this? And that can be really, really challenging. Coming up, how one condo board member, living just a 10-minute walk from Champlain Towers, navigated a multi-million dollar repair project. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hello? Hello? Hello, is that Nelson? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, great. Yes, yes, I'm in the car. We're in church right now. It's the Bible school week. So I went outside the car to the car. So it's a quiet place. Oh, thank you so much. So can you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, my name is Nelson J. Castellanos. Uh, spells- Nelson lived in an 11-story building in Surfside called the Manatee. It was built around the same time as Champlain in 1974. And the Manatee had similar problems, like cracked concrete. The Manatee's 40-year city inspection came around in 2014. And Nelson, as a member of the condo board, had a hand in managing some of those repairs. By profession, I'm a civil engineer. I am not, and I want to be clear, I am not a building engineer. I've never worked in building construction. I've worked primarily, my whole experience, highway construction, bridges, payment, anything related to transportation. But concrete is concrete. You concrete react the same way whether it's in a building, whether it's in a in a highway, it's the same similar material. It was that understanding of concrete that made Nelson particularly aware of his building's problems. Concrete is a, what I call a very forgiving material. It will warn you. If concrete just don't break and fall down without any warning. Uh, Concrete will let you know. You start seeing severe cracks. You start seeing, especially in that environment, you start seeing corrosion coming out of the concrete, which means your rebars are corroding. And eventually, after a certain amount of time, a special amount of corrosion, it's going to collapse. In the course of the Manatee's 2014 inspection, it came out that the building needed some significant and expensive repairs, including its electrical systems and parts of the building that had corroded. The city wrote us a letter that we needed to do the 40-year. 
we hire an engineering firm to do the inspection. Uh, the inspection was done. They came up with an estimate two to three million dollars for the structural work. Generally speaking, what was the dynamic between the board and the building's residents? Extremely challenging. Uh, when it comes to money, everybody's an engineer. So everybody have an opinion. Everybody know how to solve the problem. And everybody question uh, what you're trying to do. And they don't understand uh, what the ramifications of some of the decisions are. So that becomes a challenge. This challenge wasn't new. Nelson says convincing residents to pay for repairs was a long-standing issue. In the past, when the building had put off repairs, he says the eventual bill was bigger. Our roof was replaced as part of the 40-year. That roof was a chain, the condition of that roof. I mean, there were patches, four or five-time patches. There were water coming into the in, into the units that were in the penthouse, uh, the 11th floor. Why? Because the roof should have been replaced eight, nine, ten years ago. But every time there was a rain, it leaks. People will say, oh, we don't have any money for to replace the roof. Let's patch it up. Let's patch it up. Let's patch it up. And you can't, you know, at the end, at the end, it costs you more to do, to work that way. In addition to the repairs triggered by the 40-year inspection, the building decided to replace the windows. But Nelson says the board and the residents argued over how much to spend. There's some resting that just, you know, when you talk about their pocketbook, they get very picky of what you do. There was some issue with the window contractor. The money was collected to replace the windows. The previous board has selected a contractor that, in my opinion, was not a reputable contractor. I mean, he was licensed, uh, but he was not a reputable contractor. I didn't think that he knew what he was doing. Nelson says he pushed for the board to get a performance bond, basically insurance on the contractor's work, but they didn't. And then? Halfway through the contract, we have to fire him. He couldn't, he couldn't do the work to meet the city spec. He kept installing windows. The city kept coming in and saying that they did not pass inspection. I think he installed 37 windows. Not even one ever was approved by the city. So then that added to the cost. That, oh, yeah. That we lost over a quarter of a million dollars in there. Wow. That must not have gone down very well with the residents. Oh, oh no. Were the residents angry with the board? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't blame them. I mean, I may be on the board, but I'm also a resident. I understand it. I mean, it's not easy, it's particularly a resident who live on a, on an income. Do you retire on a Social Security or have a, a decent retirement? But nobody have thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in a bank account to pay for an assessment. Right. And a lot of people... Don't plan for that. When they buy the unit, don't think about that. They don't realize that, hey, maybe the, the, the roof needs to be replaced every 15, 20 years, and we're going to need money for that. Uh, you're going to have to have a structural inspection. You're going to need money for that. They don't think about that. And certainly, they're living a comfortable life, and they hit with a 60000 50000 40000 assessment. That's got to hurt. Yeah, I understand their concern. 
Last year, Nelson decided to sell his place at the Manatee. But that was after the repair bill for the 40-year inspection had ballooned to $7 million. One thing Nelson believes would have helped the situation is if the building had a reserve. Basically, a rainy day fund that all residents pay into to help fund repairs and maintenance. I always believe that you need to have a reserve. That's a key point. And that was one of my biggest reasons as to why I saw uh, they completely reluctant to have a reserve. The idea of always having a reserve fund is something our colleague Laura has been hearing about, too. It's one of the policy changes being floated after the Champlain Towers collapse. So one solution that's been talked about is this idea of requiring buildings to have a certain minimum level of reserve funds. And Florida already has that, but there's a loophole in it that allows membership to vote to waive that requirement. And so one possibility would be to say, we're just not going to let you waive it. We're going to require you to do that. You wouldn't have as many negative surprises, but your maintenance costs over the years would be higher. Uh, And so there's some back and forth about that, but that's one possibility. Requiring reserve funds is just one idea to help prevent future disasters. Another possibility is having more frequent building inspections. Miami-Dade has this inspection 40 years after a building is built. There's no kind of automatic inspection. It's private property, right? Like you can see why... Government doesn't really intervene that much once they've declared the building safe for occupancy. Um, And so you see this real push to say, maybe we do need more frequent inspections. And so it's trying to find that balance of how do we take this sort of extraordinary event that is really frightening and does illustrate that we have an aging stock that we're not maintaining, but then on the flip side, sort of understand that in many instances, these are a pretty affordable source of housing for people, and we don't want to so burden them with regulation and oversight um, that they're no longer that, that they're just no longer a kind of tenable place for people to, to live. What do you think it says? That the system that we have to deal with repairs is so hard. And what are the implications of that? We have this sort of aging housing stock in America, and we don't have a good plan for how to pay for it. We build these very complicated buildings that need a lot of maintenance, particularly these sort of high-rise buildings. And then we hand over the keys and a big manual to a bunch of volunteers and say, good luck. It's up to you to take care of this building. It's up to you to figure out how to pay for it. And that's our sort of plan for how we maintain buildings in America, um, which is obviously not a very sustainable plan for a lot of buildings. This episode has been updated. In an earlier version, we referred to the condos in Florida's construction boom as concrete block construction. We've revised the episode to call them concrete construction. Thanks to a listener for pointing that out. That's all for today, Tuesday, July 20th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting by Daniela Hernandez and John Camp. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.